Welcome to Building Healthy Relationships, the Four Habits podcast, helping you enjoy better harmony at home, thrive at work, and win at life. Here are your hosts, Dr. Andrea and John Taylor Cummings, recognized authorities on the subjects of improving work relationships and cultures, as well as couple and home relationships. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the next in the series of the Four Habits podcast. You know, we have the joy of working and partnering with some great people. And today our guest is Kirsten Samuel Hubert, who uh, we partner with. We're really excited about the conversation we're having today, workplace well-being, the power of relationships. So welcome, Kirsten. Great to have you with us. Oh, thank you, John and Andrew. It's my pleasure to be here. And I have to say that's the first time I've ever heard my full married name used. <laughs> well, I noticed it's been, I noticed it's a pairing on uh, emails and so on. So I thought I'd give you your full day, full title. <laughs> Thank you. That's news to me. Thank you. <laughs> well, as Sam said, we, like, we do like to let our guests know just who we're talking to. So I'll give you a little bit of a bio on Kirsten so you can know the, the person behind the, the lady that you hear or you see on your screens. So, so Kirsten Samuel. Kirsten is the CEO and founder of Camwell, a B Corp certified multi-award winning employee well-being consultancy. Over the past decade, she has partnered with some of the world's largest organizations to create healthy, energized, and purpose-driven workplaces, and has witnessed firsthand the highs and lows encountered by organizations as they strive to integrate and embed well-being into their operations and culture. Her mission is to inspire and empower more people to take a human-centered approach to leading, working, and living. Now, when she's not working, Kirsten enjoys spending time with her family and friends, watching Formula One racing, eating out, karaoke with her team, live music, keeping fit, and occasionally training for the odd marathon. Wow. So as you can see, the queen of well-being herself right there. Living it out, up to, <laughs> including doing marathons. And I love that line, you know, the, uh, the line about uh, inspiring people to have a human-centered approach yeah. to uh, what was it? Leading, leading working, and living. working and living well. That just resonates so strongly. And, you know, that that explains why we get on so well in our partnership. But we'd love to know what's the passion driving that that focus? What's what what's drive? Where did that come from? This passion to have a human centered approach to leading, working and living. That's a good question. And as you can tell from my bio, I'm a very multi passionate individual. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the 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 passion the passion started when I was actually in the corporate world, so twenty mm. odd years ago. I'm very very grateful for the the knowledge, the experience, the foundations that I got working in the corporate sector and in the technology sector. The the hustle and bustle of deal making, contract negotiations, you know, working in big multi multi faceted teams. Mm -hmm. But for me, ultimately, I felt that uh, something was missing. Right. And when I really looked inwards, for me, that was very simply that I wasn't connecting to my purpose or to any sort of purpose, really. Mm -hmm. you know, I was busy climbing the corporate ladder, but I wasn't quite sure where I was headed. Yeah, climbing it because it was there rather than because <laughs> it was getting you there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you can keep going and keep going. But for me, it's always there's just always been something in me that has just felt that I needed to connect on a, a deeper level. So right. I actually decided to to leave and take some time out, took six months out to 
you know, go and do the, the cliched things, go and do a yoga retreat in India and spend some time traveling and just some, spend some time in my thoughts. And I, I think also coupled with that, certainly in the latter part of my journey through my corporate career, I'd started to see a lot of people that I liked, admired, respected starting to get burnout. Right. Mm. And that's such a real thing, you know, especially post COVID, it's even more real now. Absolutely. But if you even if you cast your mind back 15 years ago, there was a huge stigma around putting your hand up and saying you were struggling with stress, anxiety, burnout. People probably wouldn't have even known what that looked like at the time, let alone yeah. recognised those kind of signs in other people. And we didn't have the language around it either to be able to say, this is what is happening to me. Exactly. I mean, we, we were talking the, the, just before we came, we went live on air here talking about sleep and the importance of that. And I just remember back to my, my banking days. Um, this is going back a little bit more than 15 years ago now. But the, the, the conversation around sleep being for wimps and all that kind of stuff, you just work, 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 let's go. Your burnout was an absolute thing with people just going full, fully for it. And that, that was the, the done thing. Yeah, and nobody was talking about it yeah. as such. Yeah. It, was, it was absolutely a badge of honour. Yeah, exactly. Back in those days, because I was very client-facing, working with lots of senior executives, and, you know, part of my role was taking people out. So I'd finish work, you know, seven o'clock, then I'd be out whining and dining. Mm-hmm getting home on the very last train and yep. then, you know, back in the office at six o'clock in the morning. And that was, that was great because I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of, your, mm. it's your kind of first foray into that sort of world, but the yes. problem is it's not sustainable. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. And sustainability. So think, exactly. So I think that was very much the, the mindset and the reality back then. And it's really encouraging to see how much we've moved on from that. Yeah. So what's your passion now? What's the change that you want to see now? Yeah. So my, my passion is really about, again, having seen what ha- having seen what stress and burnout looks like in the workplace. My passion now is very much around creating human centered workplaces. Hmm. So if you can imagine walking into an office where you can see pods of teams working collaboratively, agilely together, uh, there's like the hustle and bustle, there's great communication going on, there's just this kind of vibrancy in the office. And then if you imagine what it's like walking into an office where there's a row of empty desks where perhaps your top performers might used to have sat but have now yeah. left the business and no one's talking to each other. And there's for me, there is it is so important that we get back to finding a way to bring our humanity into work so for me it's absolutely my passion is around creating better workplace cultures and so what does that look like Mm. uh, on the ground if you were to you know top level advise how to do it what are the things that we're looking at to bring that alive yeah it's a good good question so for me that looks like first and foremost trust Mm -hmm. building cultures of trust because for me that is absolutely foundational and if you don't have trust then you've got nothing to build on so how do you do that it's around open communication and transparency it's around having mutual respect for your colleagues Mm -hmm. building community like I see workplaces really as communities where 
communities full of good relationships. You know you're absolutely talking our language. (laughs) And this is such an important conversation because the world of work has changed from and is continuing to change. Some people still haven't gotten it yet. But this idea of command and control, really, it needs to give way to a lot more trust as people work flexibly and work from home more, or, you know, you have more flexible work arrangements. It has to be this centered on trust and respect for each other. And I think there are so many other positive things. You know, if you think about what does a great culture look like? Yes, trust and communication are absolutely foundational as well as building good relationships, but you've got to have fun. Yes. You want to have cultures where people can be innovative, where leaders and managers are really, really role modeling um, self-care. We talked about well-being before we we started this session. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely essential. And if you don't get that, I guess what's the opposite? You know, you start to have negative, unmotivated employees. You have leaders and managers that can often be the problem. You know, I've I've seen that in organisations. I've seen exemplary leaders and managers, but I've also seen leaders and managers that perpetuate this culture of stress and burnout and fear. Yes. And ultimately that results in unhealthy habits and team conflicts. and, And that's when it gets, you know, that's when you get really, it becomes really, it all starts to unravel. Exactly. And nobody wants to come into the office. You know, it's if you can create the healthy culture, then people will want to be there and bring their positive energy to make work fun and make work work. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you know this, but when you think about toxic cultures and there's a lot, there's a lot of this that you can read about now. the, the, The recent stats are that if you have a toxic work culture, you're more than 10 times likely to lose employees. Of course, yeah. Um, Then you would based on compensation alone. Wow. Oh. Which I think is quite an interesting statistic. It might even be more than that now. And if you think about the last two years and all the, all the, all the talk around the Great Resignation, mm. well, so much as that of that has been driven by a lack of inclusion, a lack of fairness, a lack of purpose in organisations. For sure, and I think you know, as as traumatic as the pandemic was it certainly gave us all that moment of pause to reevaluate what's life about really and what do we really want out of life and so the expectations of people going into workplaces now they're much higher and much more human centered around flexibility and balance and being respected and being valued and having a place that you want to go to rather than a place that you have to go to yes Yeah, and I was thinking it's all about balance, isn't it? Because I mean, absolutely, we have to we have to be real. There will be times when the pressure is on, and we have to work long, and we've just got to get the job done and get it delivered, and so on. But it's finding that balance, and okay, how do you then recover from that so that people um, yeah can recover (laughs) so they can go again another time? But if you keep the foot on the accelerator at you know full pace all the while, it's just not sustainable. What you said about leaders, I want to go back to that because that's that's another important point. Even if sometimes, even if leaders themselves believe in more balance, the culture that they're in uh, kind of pressures them into behaving in a certain way. So even though corporations now are making policies around being able to work more from home or Mm -hmm. taking time off if you've worked extended hours or talking about the balance that you need 
they're not if the leaders aren't living it out people will feel that people will believe what you do not yeah. what you say what are you seeing where that's concerned in terms of policy versus the real freedom to live out that flexibility seen a mix to be honest mm. so i am seeing some so i facilitated a panel uh, a couple of days ago for uh, a very excellent organization mm-hmm. and we had two of their senior leaders um, from HR and a, a, a very nice lady who runs um, one of their their lar- largest businesses and they were exemplary mm. they really were and you could really I think what really stood out to me was the level of genuine care that they had for their people. And I think that really makes a difference. The genuine yeah. interest and care that they had for their people and how that has led to very trusting relationships mm. where people feel empowered to do their best work, where they feel that they can authentically turn up mm. as themselves. And that's something that's, you can't fake. Yeah, yeah, and that's what that's what great, great really are. Honestly, if I could have just bottled that conversation, uh, and by the way, one of the things that they said was that comes from the CEO. Right. It comes right go. up from the CEO, who is absolutely incredible. And I've seen, you know, I've seen what's happened to their EMPS school since she joined. And, and that just shows that actually, if you can, if you can role, if you can believe it, live it, role model it, and how that can then filter down the system to your next level leaders and so on and so forth. It's then that you start to create that multiplier effect. For sure. That, uh, you know, and it's such a powerful point because, and that's the work that we do together, isn't it? Where we're saying to leaders, what you model has either a positive or a very negative impact on the culture of the workplace and how safe people feel to turn up as their authentic self. Yeah. what you mentioned relationships before well i'll just just picking up on that point there just the importance of it all coming from the ceo i mean the the reasons that some of these ceos are paid the big bucks that they are paid when they're leading well and we're we're in the uk here and you know some of our listeners around the world will not be familiar with some of the stories that we're hearing here but um the post office has been in the in the very topical recently here in the uk uh lots of questions around the leadership there in the time that they went through uh, with the challenges that they've had with, um, uh, yeah, the impact on lives, basically, mm-hmm. uh, across the nation. Um, but just so important that the leadership leads by example and, and sort of sets the, sets the message, sets the, sets the sail for the direction of travel for the organization. And what, I remember this story uh, of a leader in the financial services industry, and it's always stuck with me. She said that on purpose, she gets into the office mm-hmm. early goes to the gym with her husband uh, in the office gym. And then even though she could find a coffee shop somewhere far from where the business is, she goes to the coffee shop just across from where the offices are and sits with her husband, has a coffee and does the crossword puzzle together. And she's doing that to model life and work. 
and show that her husband's valuable, uh, important to her, her exercise is important to her. And this is one way to make them work. And I just, you know, that's, this was years ago, we had that conversation. And that just stuck with me, because by her modeling that she's giving everybody around her permission to do the same. And that's, that's, it's great to see some of those behaviors. And we're starting to see more of that. I try to to do and live that out a lot with my team as well in terms of giving them permission because exactly as you say as soon as they start to see in your diary that you're <laughs> taking an hour off to go dancing or go to the gym or whatever it is you need to do for yourself yes um, or that you've got your various doctor's appointments or personal appointments in there it's that kind of silent nod yes yeah it's okay and by the way you should be doing this too because the reality is it is just work and life it's just one big thing that we we have to navigate carefully absolutely for sure and and i was just gonna say it's great to see it working when it's working well but i'm guessing in the examples you you worked with lots of organizations um both internally but also now in your professional capacity advising them on how to do well-being well clearly without naming names but i'm sure you've come across some situations where you just thought oh my lord they haven't got this right we need some big work to do here. Do you have any examples you can share of, you know, situations you've seen where they're just not getting it right? The, the challenge. The challenge. Yeah, yeah. We, we have seen that, to be fair. And I think it, it's it's realistic to say that where we, where we are at now is, is very much a spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On one end, you've got the organisations that are trailblazing the way and really focused on culture mm. and human-centred, well-being-centred leadership. And then on the other end, you've got organizations that are uh, potentially at the start of that journey, but with intent to, mm. to move further up. And then you've got some organizations, like you say, John, that are just not getting it right. Mm. It was uh, Now, this goes back quite a few years, so I'm sure things have changed yeah. since then. But We hope. <laughs> <laughs> but an example that has, has stayed with me for a very long time was we were doing some work with uh, an organization, and it was very early on when we were starting to talk about mental health and we were doing some some training some mental health training for some of their colleagues and it was a room I can't even remember the location now but it was a a room in a fairly uninspiring building and there was a two-hour session going on that we were Mm -hmm. facilitating and it was again if you think 10 years ago this is big stuff Mm. nowadays it's not a big thing to be running mental health training but back then it really was and yeah, you know trailblazing absolutely i really commend mm. them for for taking that opportunity but i remember in the middle of that session there was this knock on the door and in walked you could only assume was one of the the managers or leaders of the business that just had that sort of air and grace right. about him. and he realized that it was a, a mental health session and his response at the time was oh sorry is this the room full of sick people <laughs> No. Oh my goodness me. Oh dear. <laughs> That's the other end of the scale. Yeah. How yeah. <laughs> to kill a moment. Oh my goodness. Oh my Absolutely. goodness. And I'm sure that they have learned and that they have moved on from there. But but that's the reality. And that, that just gives the example that even if the very language, the words you use, how you describe things, can either lift the culture 
and say this is okay and give the space for people to be open about what's really going on or it can shut that baby down <laughs> where nobody talks about anything anymore. And, and establish labels. Those people now carrying that label, that stigma of, oh, we're, we're the sick people and you know, what, what do the colleagues make of that? Yeah. Well, you know, it's just, it's, yeah, as I say, I think we, we've, we've, we've moved beyond there as a society. Yeah. Yes, we have. because there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. But to answer your question again, Andrew, around, you know, what is the change that I'd like to see? Mm-hmm. I'd like to see more workplace cultures that prioritise our humanity. Yeah. Because if we can't bring our, more of our humanity into work with, against the backdrop of everything that is going on in the world, a lot of us are going to get sick. Yeah, again, so, yes. So it's remembering that, and this isn't my phrase, but it's one that I heard that I love, but it's remembering that we are human beings and not human doings. For sure, 100%. And what's really fascinating, I don't know if you, I mean, this is going off piste a little bit, but I'm, I'm watching with curiosity the next wave of culture now that AI is coming into the workplace. Because one thing it will force us to be, the distinguishing factor between jobs and AI will be the human-centered approach. It's the humanity that we're now being challenged to bring back into the workplace because that's the only thing that AI won't duplicate or, or replace. Yeah. I don't know what if you have any thoughts on um, the impact of AI and how the invitation to be more human again. I, that's a, that's a, it's a really interesting point. And I'm, amongst many things, a bit of a tech nerd. So I was using ChatGPT before most people even knew about it. I remember getting a, a message from a sort of friendship group that I was on about six months later saying, what's ChatGPT? And I was thinking, <laughs> how do you not know about this? Yeah. <laughs> um, the way I've seen it deployed so far, and obviously we're still very early in that journey, has has been quite positive actually. I haven't heard or seen many instances where people feel that they're not getting that human interaction. Mm. Um, I, I don't. I certainly don't think it replaces us. I think it can, if deployed correctly, can really complement uh, some of the interactions and services that organisations can offer. Uh, you say, can it? Do you lose the human element? So there are some debates now that I, I think there was a report that I read that said. Am I having an affair if I'm in an emotional relationship with my chatbot? Oh, boy. Fidelity. If you go to that extent where actually you're getting that connection and actually someone is properly actively listening to you, (laughs) with your human partner, it does beg the question of actually how good is it going to get? Yeah. I, 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 I totally see that point. But I'm also hoping that as AI does more of the repetitive stuff, more of the things that, you know, can a routine and uh, the things that AI can replace, as AI replaces that, a wider space will be opened up for us to be more human, for us to be more creative, for us to be more connecting, for us to have the time to be rather than just do and that that will be the attractiveness about workplaces because people are being much more human Mm. again and we get we get and by that we get to work on the stuff that we care about and the stuff that really matters absolutely a lot of the automated processes 
I think there's no doubt that there are some challenges and there are some threats around AI. Again, it's very much in its infancy. But I think from what I've seen so far, I've seen the benefits massively outweigh. Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm just thinking about it there on the fly as we speak, actually. This is really going off yeah, in every really direction. Off, so. But interesting, <laughs> but what, what's really hitting me here is AI is, well, the, the whole object of it is to give you a result that you're looking for. Uh, so you, you put a question out there and it comes back with an answer to that question. And I think the human aspect, as I think about it here, is just almost by definition, you don't always get the response that you're looking for. And and humanity is all about responding to those uh, unexpected inputs. So you put a question out there, you get an answer that's quite different, and now you've got to respond to that. Whereas with AI, it's just you put a question out, you get the answer back, and okay, this, this is all working, this is going my way, this is all feels good. Yeah. I think humanity is all about responding to those um, left field responses or those different responses. And maybe AI one day will give us those responses and maybe that's, you know, it'll be trained to do that. But I think that's, that's the bit that we still have over AI. And, you know, I remember, I remember the days when computers were coming in where, old you know, I'm old enough to remember <laughs> actually the punched cards and the big mainframes in air conditioned buildings. I, I go that far back. You know, my kids ask where the dinosaurs are on there. Never mind that. Uh, um, and I remember the furore, the the um, fear, the excitement, just the anticipation of what will this mean for my life when computers were available to individuals and, and in homes. And we've settled into that and we've found our place with that. And I, I anticipate the same thing will happen with AI. But I really believe that point you've, you've been making about purpose and about connection that that will have to come into full focus as we embrace AI more and more in the workplace. So let's talk about relationships. What's the role of relationships in well-being? What's the power of relationships in workplace well-being? I think relationships are are just core to everything. So. Yeah, not only are they, I mean, we talk about trust and great culture and all of those kind of things, but but as I said, workplaces are made up of relationships, mm -hmm. communities with good, bad, in-between relationships. So for me, relationships are absolutely found, foundational to everything that we do, both in and outside of work. And I think if you could have, obviously, we all have lots of different muscles that we can exercise and learn, mm -hmm. develop. But I think if there was only one muscle that you could develop and grow, it would be, for me, it would be the relation, the relational muscle. We, the, the root of, of everything. And I know I'm talking your language here. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, absolutely. we're trying to sit on our hands to not steal your show and, and, and say, yes, 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 absolutely. But tell us why. Tell me why. What difference would that make? I think you have to think about positive relationships. So, you know, what are positive relationships? They are sources of energy, mm -hmm. they are sources of innovation, collaboration, joy. You can even go as far as to say they're sources of high performance in workplaces. They are, for me, just, as I said, foundational to everything. Yeah. I think, I think on the, the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got fractured relationships. And they can certainly be a source of frustration, conflict, anger, resentment, you know, can leave you feeling hurt if someone has spoken to you impolitely. Yeah. 
And some of these negative inter interactions, they might start as sort of low intensity incivility. Mm -hmm. so I could be sarcastic to you or I could start mocking you for something that you've said or the way you look. And I think the problem is, is that if that is left unchecked, that can lead to a lot more damaging interactions. And, and, and that's where you start to see things like workplace bullying, violence, aggression. Yeah. So for me, it's absolutely fundamental that we are all intentional in, in, in building our relationships with ourselves, with our colleagues, with our friends, with our family, with our children. It's it's absolutely cool. No. That you know, absolutely well said. And you know our heart just leaps for joy when we hear that. And the question we always ask, you'd have heard us asking this, is why is it that we're not taught in any structured, consistent way to do relationships well? And even in the workplace, when we are taught to do relationships well, it's about the workplace yeah. it's not about who you become as a person it's about how do we do this better in this context and that's the 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 the, the doors that we keep pushing on to say we're as you said we're human beings how do we become as individuals far more relationally intelligent in all our relationships because that's who we are not because that's how we need to perform in this particular context have you do you see what do you notice in workplaces around you know this investment in building strong relationships i think it's taken a while to get there hmm. i think there's been more focus in workplaces on developing other skills mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But five years ago, we started talking about five years more, maybe 10, between five and 10 years ago, we started talking about emotional intelligence. Yes. And I think that for me, certainly in my experience, was kind of the start of moving towards talking about relationships and mm -hmm. how to build good ones. I think one of the problems just stems from the fact that we weren't taught this stuff from an early age. Absolutely. A bit like financial literacy, you know, at school, you get a great education, learning, English, maths, geography, science, but actually some of the core fundamental things like how to be a good human, how to talk to others, how to understand money, all of that sort of stuff, how to self-regulate, um, that sort of stuff wasn't taught to us. Back yeah. Then. And yeah. I think, again, schools are, are moving on now to, to really starting to, to look at some of this sort of stuff, which is great. Yeah. But I think it wasn't ingrained in us from an early age. So... So now all we can be is is really intentional about building that muscle going yeah. forward. I think I think historically feelings <laughs> have always been left out. We, we stick to the hard, the stuff that we can control, we can manage, but feelings Measure, are a bit, manage, exactly yeah. feelings. And this is really what it all comes down to. All this stuff you've been talking about just now is about how do you create an environment where people feel good in an in an organization? So talk about healthy relationships. What does that translate into? Well, it feels good. <laughs> If it if it doesn't feel so good, the relationship is not a healthy one. Uh, it really comes down to feelings, and uh, emotions, emotional data. Go on, this bursting to say something. Go on. <laughs> Just scribbled on my notepad. Feel good there you because go. knowledge, insight, facts, figures that doesn't lead to action. Yeah. What leads to action are feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, when you truly feel something, that's when 
you sit up and go, right, I'm going to change or yeah. I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. And, you know, that that leads very neatly onto another digression, but I need to say that when we talk about inclusion, we talk about it as a thing, but inclusion is actually an emotion. It's that feeling of being trusted, respected, safe, able to turn up as your best self and bring all that energy inside you to create and innovate and do a great job where everybody wins. And as I say, you feel like you belong. It's, you feel yeah. like you belong. It's it's the feeling. So, you know, we need to get more comfortable talking about emotions and feelings as valid data sources, as the data on the computer that you know we can justify because make no mistake what actually happens is we make decisions emotionally but justify it logically <laughs> we can't yeah. tell you that i can't tell you that i don't like working with you but i'll tell you that i'm not available to work on the project you know it's that that kind of thing going on so how do we get better yeah. at that so on that note what What's the kind of best relationship advice that you've had? What 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 stands out for you? Oh gosh, best <laughs> relationship advice. Because that's how most people get get um, advice. They don't. We don't. As you say, we're not learned being taught it formally in schools or what have you. So the people who do have good advice have picked it up from somewhere. Somebody they've either read a book or or, or a grandparent said has said something or <laughs> yeah. what have you. So any any. Or what's influenced your yeah. relationships? Yeah, I think. For me, so, so I guess I've, I've picked up various things over the years, and I'm a, a huge advocate of investing in myself. <laughs> and I strongly believe that the strength of your relationships start with the strength of the relationship that you have with yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if you get that right, and again, it's not like you get it right once and you're done. Yeah. You're. <laughs> We're around, hopefully, for for a long time, and it's. But but I do believe it is the foundation yeah. of all of the other relationships that you can have in your life, and that's about, you know, trusting your own wisdom, trusting what you know, mm-hmm. to be right, uh, treating yourself with love and respect, and appreciating yourself, and and also just having the self confidence to lead yourself to take charge of your life. There's um, a leadership mantra, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, you know, to take charge and to take, to take care and to take charge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love that because for me, it always, it serves to remind me of the dual responsibilities you have as a leader mm-hmm. to look after the people around you, but also to be assertive and to make decisions. And, and sometimes they're hard decisions, but if you get the balance right between the two, that's a, a, a really, a, a really a really good a really good starting point yes um, but I only have heard that term used in in leadership uh, but for me to take care and to take charge also really I feel that is like an individual mantra too mm-hmm. because at the end of the day you are in charge of your life Uh, you're the one that there are many if if you're in the workplace you know many organizations are offering wonderful benefits and well-being programs and training and things like this now and that's great but it's then up to you to take action and to take on board the opportunities that have been offered just the same as it is that it's your responsibility to find your path to forge your path to to look after yourself so for me 
like what does that look like for me it's for me I you know I'm very conscious about looking after my mental and physical well-being mm-hmm. and I don't always get it right my sleep is horrendous at the moment because I've got a two-year-old that won't stay in his room <laughs> it'll pass and that's me exercising because I'm knackered yeah. so you know we don't always get it right but it's mm-hmm. it's knowing what your toolkit is and and using it where it's appropriate um like for me I also love learning new things like growth is such a, a big part of my taking care of myself mm-hmm. so last year I became a Rubik's Cube nerd oh, <laughs> oh well done wow <laughs> and uh and you know this year I've got something else that I want to do um you know professional skills like how do you grow professionally like six months ago I joined my local speakers club because I'm starting mm-hmm. to have to do more keynotes mm-hmm. organization so mm-hmm. really trying to 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 learn some new strategies and become better at that and taking care of about taking care of yourself is also about treating yourself like I think there's you know there's so many people that I speak to and they've you know they haven't had a massage for a year or they haven't done anything nice for themselves you know they're always doing nice things for their colleagues and they're doing great work for their organizations and they've been a great family member and a great parent but when did they actually last do something for themselves you know that's so powerful and you know the the two lines that we we often share that come to mind one is you can't give what you don't have Mm. so if you're not taking care of yourself and you're depleted on the inside you can't give generously to those around you and as a matter of fact you might resent them when they go off and do it (laughs) because you'll be saying I don't get time to do that why do why do you do that and the other thing is nobody can respect the boundaries that you don't set so if you don't defend the time, oops, knocking the microphone there. If you don't dis- defend the time to do those things that refuel and re-energize you, mm. people will just take over your time and take over your diary yeah. if you don't set those boundaries. So those are th- that's some really good insight on how to model well-being, which then gives other people permission yeah. to do it. Yeah, well, just, I like just elevating elevating care and that. I, I hadn't heard that. Um expression articulated as as you did with take care and take charge um but it is really about the, the going back to the whole concept of the hard skills and the what used to be called the soft skills or the hard skills and now the human skills and finding that balance between the two and i think in the past the danger is leaders were all about taking charge i'm a leader i'm going to take charge if you do that without taking care <laughs> very quickly you won't be leading very much yeah uh, so the taking care has really come to the yeah. fore and that's the you know uh, clearly a core part of the work that you're doing in well-being space just helping people take care yeah take care take charge of your life and of your people yeah and you only have one life exactly how are you going to get to live this yeah so you have to you know this is going to sound a bit cheesy you have to go out there be brave be bold and most importantly be real and by yeah. that, i mean you know it is safe now in this modern society to authentically be you. Yes. And to not shut down parts of your soul that really bring you alive and allow you to be that creative, innovative, on fire person in the workplace. And we like to talk about how do you work well and be well at the same time. So what, what, what advice would you want to pass on to the next generation uh, your children, you know, the next set of workers going into the workplace, those who will lead and those who will be employees. What do we want to, what's the message? I think it's probably what I've just said, to be honest. You mm. know, it's safe 
to turn up as yourself. Um, you know, look after yourself because you've only got one body, yeah. one mind. Uh, it's about yeah, giving yourself permission, mm-hmm. um, being kind to yourself, and. I'm just thinking because there's just something that I want to share with you mm-hmm. that I, in terms of advice that um, that was given to me recently. Mm-hmm. And um, it was on this discussion, great discussion that I had with an organisation. And, and one of the leaders that was on it said, always assume that 99% of people that you're dealing with are acting with what they believe to be the best of their intentions. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. Hmm. And- that really uh, I've actually looked into that a little bit more since then and I know that Brené Brown has talked a lot about that Indra uh, Nui the the former chairman and CEO of PepsiCo has spoken about that in interviews but when this lady mentioned it it really really spoke to me because I think if you can start to if you see the best in people that's a good thing and I think Mm. if you can approach any interaction with that in mind you're more likely to approach approach it with kindness. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a nuance in what you say. Can you say that bit again? Because it's about the best intention with the information that they have. But you said it you said it better. Yeah, I said always assume that ninety nine percent of people are acting with what they believe to be their best intention. What yeah. they what believe, they believe to, be to be their best, their best intentions. intentions. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. Well, yeah. So you know, you do that, um, and you approach people more likely with more kindness than than assuming negative intent and you start from a place of cynicism anger and and what happens when you start to do that is that you start to create a positive feedback loop where you're believing that they're acting with their best intention so you approach them with kindness they see how you're responding to them and they approach that they respond in a way that's positive as well for so sure. I just really wanted to get that across because that was only a couple of days ago and that has stayed with me and all of my interactions since then I've 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 and it's so easy to when you're busy when you're tired when you've got life pulling you in a million directions to see someone's email to you or someone's phone call to you or text whatever as, as a negative yes yeah. they might just be having a bad day too because usually it's not about you it's about them Absolutely. Yeah. But we, they believe they're acting with the best of intentions. I love that. So yeah, if we can assume yeah. that, then we'll be in a lot better place. I remember on one of the workshops that we were doing, one of the managers said, the way I read an email depends on what's happened in my household that morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> it will either be seen as an attack or a warm message. If if things were great the, the, in the morning, then she'll read it with the best of uh, assumptions of the best of intentions. If things were fractious in the morning, it will seem like an attack on her as a person. So that is just so true, so powerful. I think there's so much more that so so much more that we could talk about. I wanted to circle back to the Rubik's Cube very quickly, though. <laughs> did, did you manage to get your time down to a particular level? You're up against our son now. Our son, he picked us back up again at Christmas. I, I, and, I mean, I know there are people who do it in seconds. I think, was it either one minute or two minutes he managed to get it down to? Are you going for time or are you just kind of just doing it? Oh, you know, I'm competitive through and through, so all that time for me. But I, um, in the holidays, we were in Portugal and... We, we were there for, um, yeah, for, I think for just under two weeks. 
and every day I literally just spent time by the when I wasn't with the kids yeah, yeah. it was just like trying to work remember memorizing the algorithms yeah, yeah. faster and we'd start we'd, we'd go down to the pool after after breakfast and you know all the family would take a turn of trying to mess it up as much as they could <laughs> and you know someone was there with the stopwatch and before I left before when I first started I think I was about five minutes and then I got down to just under two minutes and I oh, was wow so so proud of myself yeah and this is a really funny story I was honestly so chuffed with myself and everyone just couldn't believe that I could actually do it let alone do it that yeah. and so yeah here I was all, all chuffed with my new skill and for me it's just something I like to do in the mornings because it keeps my brain brain active yeah. and gets it firing up and that week that we got back we went to see my husband's best friend a guy called Ed out in St Albans and um we walked into their house and my son said to me, mummy, 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 they've got loads of cubes. And I was thinking to myself, what is he talking about? Uh, and I realised that there were various Rubik's cubes all around the house. Oh, really? Okay. There I was thinking my two under two minutes was re a real accomplishment. And I found out that their oldest son was doing it in sub 20 seconds. Oh, no way. I know that people out there like that. <laughs> really catapulted me back down to reality so my challenge for this 2024 is to see if i can become a speed cuber oh so, my goodness okay well that's basically unlearning what you've learned and you know learning a whole set of it's music. a whole different thing yeah well listen you are uh, i'm in awe of you with your sub two two minutes you're a hero in my book <laughs> Got any tips you know send them my way please so my tip is when i get a rubik's cube i hand it to myself <laughs> i don't even start so you're miles ahead of me with that <laughs> see i knew there was something to unpack in there look at that just um, but we, Kirsten, it's, it's been a real joy real joy speaking with you maybe we'll have you come back again another time and there's just so much more i'm sure that you have to to share in this space but I'm conscious of time. Yes. And is there any, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to talk about well-being in the workplace? Sure. So probably three ways through our website. I'm just going to spell it out. It's um, K-A-M-W-E-L-L.com. So camwell.com. Um, or you can drop me an email at hello at camwell.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Fabulous. And that's Kirsten Samuel, not, you won't find a Kirsten Samuel Hubert. <laughs> we can put all that stuff in the show notes as well. So great. Yeah, the Easy link will there. be there. Well, it's been my great pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a joy uh, chatting with you and uh, look forward maybe to the next time. Thanks, Kirsten. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did and you want to hear more, the best thing to do is subscribe. Then you'll never miss an episode. There's a new one every Friday. You can stay connected with us on social media at The Four Habits for updates, behind-the-scenes content, and to participate in discussions related to the show. We always love to hear from you. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your preferred platform to allow us to reach more listeners and help people around the globe radically transform the way they do relationships so they too can enjoy better harmony at home, thrive at work, and win at life.